Well, I hope you had a great Christmas week, and uh, I hope you got everything that you wanted. And if you didn't, I hope you've gotten over it by now, because you probably didn't need it and uh, excited. Hope you have good plans going into the new year. Um, As Pastor Blake mentioned in the call to worship, this is not just an entrance into a new year. It is an entrance into a new decade, the new and improved Roaring Twenties, right? But this Roaring Twenties is going to look radically different than the last Roaring Twenties. As a matter of fact, this next decade will look profoundly different than life did at the beginning of the last decade. The whole idea that the world is at our fingertips. At the beginning of 2010, the iPhone had not yet really taken over the marketplace. As a matter of fact, the iPhone 3G was the current iPhone. 4 didn't come out until June of 2010. There was no iPad yet when the calendar flipped to 2010. No Apple Pencil, no Apple Watch. There were no AirPods, and somehow we survived. Can you imagine that we finally made it uh, in, in through, through 2010? The music industry saw some interesting changes in the 2010s, right? Uh, the year 2010 was the year that Lady Gaga showed up in a, an awards ceremony uh, wearing raw meat in the form of a dress, right? And interestingly, that was actually the most rational thing Lady Gaga did all decade <laughs> was wear raw meat. So anyways, um, in 2012... Uh, we saw a great height of music uh, prowess and genius um, with the release of what at the time was the single most watched video in the history of the internet, Gangnam Style, right? Like that's the height of music right there. In the next February of 2013, uh, the next big hit uh, to go viral uh, was the Harlem Shake, right? And all of the great musicians of old rolled over in their graves at that particular moment. And then later that year, in September of 2013, uh, we had the viral musical genius of what does the fox say, right? I mean, it just doesn't get more profound, right, than that deep meaning um, to take over a new decade of music. But it wasn't just music that had a lot of changes. Um, We saw uh, the Internet become a place where people argued. We saw the Internet become a place where people fought. As a matter of fact, we saw families divided in debate. And I'm not talking about the 2016 election. I'm talking about in 2015 when everybody was fighting over the color of a dress. You remember this? Was it blue or was it gold? Right? That's five years ago. Sometimes that seems like that was just yesterday. It was blue, by the way. Um, And if you think it was gold, we will have a time of response and repentance at the end of the service uh, for you. 2016, we saw society take a giant step forward with the release of Pokemon Go, right? We just saw the best of society walking around to strange places with our phones to collect things that weren't actually there. We didn't actually collect anything. Not necessarily a a proud moment. Uh, The 2010s is when Minecraft was released, um, and that is a big deal apparently to some people. I'm not a big gamer. And then, of course, Fortnite took over the end of the decade from a gaming perspective. Um, We also saw in May of 2017 um, was when fidget spinners became a thing. Remember that? Like forever proving that American kids cannot sit still for more than 10 seconds. We had fidget spinners overtaking the landscape. Thank God that trend didn't last very long. Um, And then in the 2010s, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, um, if you happen to care about that. Um, But this morning, I am far less concerned 
with what we saw change in the last decade. And I am far more concerned with what's unchangeable, with what is unshakable. Because the things that didn't change last decade, I believe, won't be able to be changed next decade either. They are things that we can build our lives upon. And so I invite you, please, to grab your Bibles, if you would, this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there is one underneath the seat in front of you. And uh, as we say every week, if if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you today. Now, we're going to do our tradition. We hold up our Bibles and we say a creed together every week before we jump in. Um, But it's actually not on the screens today. And so we're going to see how well you have this memorized. So we're going to hold up our Bibles. You can follow my lead. Here we go. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Great job. This is truly the best Christmas present I got. That was awesome. 2019 can now end in peace. That was great. Thank you all. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, please. If you're using... Uh, One of the Bibles from the seat in front of you, it's page 924, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I'm sorry, forgive me just a second. Jason, it's really good to see you, bud. Yeah. Um, Jason spent uh, all of the holidays, actually since the Sunday before, in the hospital and uh, is facing uh, a potential lymphoma diagnosis, waiting on the final results of that, and uh, got to go home a couple days ago. Good to see him here this morning. Jason, we love you, and we're with you, and we're for you. And uh, Livy, we love you even more, and we're with you. And you guys are awesome. And uh, yeah, our prayers are with you. As we are... Uh, transitioning to come together to the Lord's table this morning. Um, we're going to start here in, in the beginning of the book of Colossians. And if if this whole the Bible thing is new to you, or maybe communion is new to you, or maybe the, all of Christianity is, is a little bit new to you, here's the deal. The, the Bible was not written as a religious manual meant to be this comprehensive, organized, religious perspective. No, there was 66 different books that the Holy Spirit over over uh, decades, uh, hundreds of years, brought together to form what we believe is the Scriptures now. And there's different forms of writings within these 66 books. Some of them are historical narratives, just telling stories of what happened. Some of them are poetry, songs and and poems. And some are prophecies, kind of like what we would call sermons that were just written down uh, and and then passed from generation to generation. And then other parts of the Bible, like where we will be this morning in the book of Colossians, are letters. Very real letters written to very real people in a very real place in a moment of time. And this letter is written by the Apostle Paul and Timothy, uh, his, his mentee, was with him and uh, wrote this to the church at the city of Colossae. And, and this letter is, is, is written in the very traditional format of the time where you didn't sign it at the bottom, sincerely, Apostle Paul. You introduced yourself first, and then you addressed the readers, or in, in the case of the early church, the hearers, because someone would just read this letter out loud to everybody. And so we pick up this letter right after the traditional introduction of the Apostle Paul. Verse number three, we read this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
when we pray for you. The Apostle Paul starts off by saying, man, every time Timothy and I pray for this church in this city and these people that we care about, those prayers are, are undergirded by gratitude. There's this undercurrent of thanksgiving every time we pray for you. And, and what it is that Paul is thankful for is, is where we're going to spend just a few moments together before we gather around the Lord's table this morning. This is where the gratitude is being driven by. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Everybody say faith. And of the love that you have for all the saints. Say love. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Say the word hope. This this trifecta, this trinity of Christian ideologies, faith, hope, and love. I think there's actually like a manual somewhere that any like soccer mom who listens to KLTY and eats at Chick-fil-A has to have plaques in her kitchen that say faith, hope, and love, right? Or in the foyer somewhere or whatever. Uh, we were one of those families until we just remodeled and we took them down. And so we have lost our Christian card. We have to re-earn it before we're allowed to go back to Chick-fil-A. We have to rehang the faith, hope, and love plaques, right? And, and, and the reason that that's such a popular thing that we see is because it's a popular theme or a well-seen, well-viewed theme throughout the New Testament Scriptures. Probably the, the most well-known um, uh, uh, and, and probably the clearest picture of, of faith, hope, and love is found together in what's called the love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 13 of that chapter says, Now faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. And so again and again we see the concepts of faith, hope, and love. And again, not just for plaques on a wall, but even uh, the, the image here that, that's used on our graphic for this week, the cross representing faith and the work of Christ, the heartbeat representing hope looking forward, and the, the heart representing uh, love. This idea, this is actually, um, this artwork is used by uh, the former quarterback from the University of Florida, Tim Tebow, for his Tim Tebow Foundation. That's their logo as he's fundraising for orphan care around the world. Uh, this is a, a well-known concept, uh, even from people who don't know the Scriptures very well, is faith, hope, and love. When I was, was reading through the Scriptures earlier uh, this, this fall, I came to this passage and I saw that the Apostle Paul accidentally got it out of order. <laughs> now, I'm kidding, of course. I, I believe this is very much on purpose. But instead of faith, hope, and love, we see faith, love, and hope in the text. And that's what slowed me down a little bit. I have to confess to you, I, I, I've read the scriptures enough and I've been around the church enough that unfortunately I, I tend to skim past the familiar parts. And so I'm reading the introduction and it's like, yeah, this is Paul and Timothy, duh, we know. And, and, and the fact that it was in a different order slowed me down enough. And, and I want to share with you something that, that God just captured my attention with a few months ago. And seldom do I ever share from up here what God spoke to me in my, my quiet time. And I, I don't know why I want to share this with you this morning, but I'll share this with you. Um, when you stand up here and talk about the Bible a lot, sometimes the lines between your public faith and your private faith can get unhealthily blurred. It's a struggle sometimes when people expect you to get up and have something to say. 
your time with the Lord can almost be on behalf of the people you care about instead of your own personal walk. And the reason that that is an unhealthy thing is I believe every human being needs to walk with the Lord for themselves, including you and including me. And if my study of the words always for what I'm going to say instead of what God wants to say to me, I end up not growing as a believer. And so I try hard to keep separate my time in the word, the same way that I encourage you to spend, and my time in study. I, I, I had never thought about this before, but um, just recently I started thinking through between Sunday mornings and speaking in chapel here at our school or youth camps or whatever, I, I think I've been averaging the last several years, preaching about 75 times a year. And I don't have that much to say. I'm not that smart. And so this pressure of what am I going to say next sometimes distracts me from hearing, from listening to what God has to say to me. But every now and then, <laughs> one of those moments alone with the Lord, he just won't let me go about it, and I, and I want to share it with y'all. And, and it's pretty seldom, and this is one of those mornings, I want to share with you something very personally that God has used in a transformative way. It's changed kind of how I start every day for the last few months. And it has to do, again, with this out of order, faith, hope, and love. In this case, faith, love, and hope here in this text. And here's what I want to talk about. I believe that this concept of faith in Christ Jesus, I think as American Christians, we have a really small understanding of the concept of faith. Because most of us have enough provision in our life that we've never been truly dependent. Most of us in this room haven't been scared of where the next session of meals were going to come from. Most of us have maybe had seasons that tested our faith. But I mean, that like reckless abandon, desperate dependence on God. Well, quite frankly, if we're honest with each other, our, our life is comfortable enough that a lot of us, and our faith is really kind of weak. Matter of fact, I think the reason when we walk into a difficulty, when we walk into a cancer diagnosis, we get so wrecked is because I confess I spend most of my days pretty self-dependent, pretty dependent on my resources and on my plans. But this is one of those texts, and I know you hear me say this a lot. This is one of those texts that it's just as important what it doesn't say as what it does say. Because it doesn't say faith in Christ Jesus and the church. Christ Jesus and my good works. Christ Jesus and my religion. Christ Jesus and my retirement strategy. Christ Jesus and my boss. Christ Jesus and my plans. Christ Jesus and my skills. Christ Jesus and my spouse. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther, if he could send a, 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 an email to the Apostle Paul and say, would you please say faith alone in Christ alone, that I'm just trusting in just Christ. And I think for a lot of us, that, that's a foreign concept for our daily routine. The Apostle Paul says, man, we've heard about the fact that you really, really, really trust Jesus. Your faith is rooted in Christ and in Christ alone. And the reason that our faith is rooted in Christ alone is because, as kindly as I know how to say it, every person that we've ever encountered in this life has not been as trustworthy as Jesus. He's the one truly worthy of our faith. 
Every person who ends up sitting in my office and, and sharing their hurts, do you know what their stories all have in common? They were hurt by people. <laughs> Every one of them. We live surrounded in, in a broken world where even the people we care about the most, they're just as busted up as we are. And so what, what's been demonstrated again and again and again in our lives, that there's only really one who's truly worthy of our deepest abiding trust. And his name is Jesus. Our faith firmly rooted in Christ and in nothing else. And then he says, we've heard about your love that you have for all the saints. And here again this week, as we looked at last week as well, we see that there's a a doxological reality that has a soteriological blessing, that, that when things are right between us and God, there's benefits to us right here, boots on the ground on earth. And that is last week when there's glory given to God in the highest because of gospel grace, there's peace on earth. And we see here this morning, when my faith is appropriately rooted in the one who's worthy of my faith, then the the horizontal reality is, I love people. Trust Jesus and love people. And I'm not saying that we don't also love God, because that's the first and great commandment, is is to love Jesus. But in this context, I, I think a healthy clarifier is being given to trust Jesus and love untrustworthy people. People who are just as busted up as we are. People who are just as prone to lose their temper and to misspeak and to handle something badly and to react badly to bad things as we are. (laughs) We're surrounded by people as nuts as us. Isn't that bad news? (laughs) How do we deal with that? How do we interact with that? Well, man, if my faith isn't in them and my faith is in Christ, then I can in a vulnerable way love broken people. Because they're not my faith. My faith is rooted in the one who's worthy, in the person of Jesus Christ. I really believe, especially in, in the modern church, we have reversed this reality. I believe we want to speak hallmark language about our relationship with God. Adoringly and romantically, a lot of our modern worship songs talk that way. And don't, again, don't hear me wrong. We need an awakening of passionate worship to the Lord. But we speak with this adoration language, and then we want desperately to trust people. As a matter of fact, most of the people who come to my office, it's because their trust was violated. In the book, Healing Your Church Hurts by Stephen Mansfield, he says, But for those of us who know the gospel... A part of this hurt is on us because we have trusted people that we know are just as fallen as us. <laughs> There's a piece of this that somehow we've expected people to have it more together and to be farther down the road of grace than we are. No, we're all a work in progress. But the only way to feel safe if you're loving broken people is to have your faith rooted somewhere much better. Faith in Christ. And love for people right where they are in their own journey. How is that possible? How can I love that vulnerably people who are just as struggling as me? How is that possible? Here's the only way I believe that's possible. Is if our hope is in another life. 
if our hope is in heaven. And I'm going to speak again to what I believe is not just a Doug problem. I think it's an American church problem. I think life is so good here, we don't dream enough about heaven. I think we, we just celebrated a week of materialism and affluence. Man, heaven might really be a place on earth. But it's not. As a matter of fact, when, when we love someone who's broken and they hurt us, that's supposed to be a painful reminder that this isn't all there is. That our hope lies somewhere else. And again, you've heard me say this so many times, but when we feel wounded by someone that we love, there's a thing in us that says, that's not how it's supposed to be. And you're right. As the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, we were not created to be hurt by people that we love. That's a thing in us that says, this isn't how it's supposed to be, but we believe there is coming a day when it will be as it's supposed to be, when everything that is wrong will finally be made right, when finally we will be healed from all of this hurt. And, and the, that pain, that disappointment, that, that, uh, that, that uh, misuse of trust is us groaning as in the pains of childbirth along with all creation, longing for the reconciliation of all things. The only way that I can truly love broken people is to trust in Jesus and hope for the day when he will make everything that is wrong right. Those of you who are reading through the Bible in a year, which I think is a great practice, not to check something off a list, but to get God's word in you for yourself, not to hear someone on a screen or on a stage. Those of you who are reading through your Bible in a year, your reading plan this week, matter of fact, in a, in a day or two, we'll have you in Revelation chapter 21, <laughs> where John the Apostle sees revealed to him the one who sits on the throne will himself wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more sorrow nor hurting anymore there will be no more grief there will be no more pain and then he will speak from the throne behold i am making all things new and when john saw this the one who was seated on the throne <laughs> said write this down because these words are trustworthy <laughs> that's a place to root our hope and to root our faith as we journey through a broken world. There's a, a past, present, and future idea in this that, that, that I want us to see. And then we'll make one more observation before we quickly look at the rest of the text. But there's this past, present, and future thing that I think is beautiful here that sets the, the table for, for the Lord's Supper there's this looking backwards at the completed, accomplished work of Christ on the cross on our behalf. It's finished. It's done. We, we look backwards at what he's accomplished through his broken body, through his shed blood, and three days later through his glorious resurrection. It's accomplished for us. And then we see in our own little momentary earthly lives a pattern of his faithfulness and of his goodness. And so our faith is rooted in what has been accomplished for us in the past. And then our hope lies in the soon coming conquering king, right? The future reconciliation of all things. 
And when my faith is appropriately rooted in what's been accomplished in the past, and my hope is appropriately rooted in what's coming in the future, then it frees me in the present to love people right where they are. To love broken people. Faith, love, and hope. And let me say this before we move on. What I'm not saying this morning, friend, hear me. I'm not saying look within and muster up some more trust and rile up some more love and determine to hope better in 2020. Because I actually don't think that we can trust Jesus, love broken people, and hope in heaven apart from the work of God. Look back at verse 3. Look back at verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, We thank God. That's so simple we could just read right past it. He doesn't say, We thank you for doing a good job. Keep it up. No. We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, since we've heard of your faith and your love, and your hope. And the reason that they're thanking God for those things is because they are a gift of God Himself. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 tells us that faith is, is measured or is, is assigned by God. Faith isn't something we have the capacity to do. It's the work of God. We read in 1 John chapter 4 that love is so much a God thing that God is Himself love. And hope is so far beyond the human experience that Romans chapter 15, verse number 13, tells us that he is the God of hope. And so I'm not saying muster up some more faith, love better, and hope more. No, 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 no. I'm saying let's come to the foot of a loving Heavenly Father and say, I believe, help my unbelief. You've freed me to love, but I want to love more like your son. And I can't apart from the work of your spirit. And I want to hope in heaven, but I'm so focused on the here and now, I can't possibly see that if you will not give me eyes to see. And for me, for the last few months, this has become a daily prayer before I've started my day. I've prayed, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I don't really trust you. I trust my plans, and I trust my thoughts and my strategy and my vision. And faith is the evidence of things not seen. God, give me faith. And God, get my eyes past the right here, right now, of everything that's going on around me. I want to hope. I want to hope in heaven. And God, in between that waiting, please give me the ability to love people who are just as wounded as me. And, and here's the thing about that prayer. I actually don't think that's like this big, amazing spiritual prayer. I think that's just the gospel, which is what the text says. We thank God for you since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love you have for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And the end of verse number five says, of this, of, of this faith and of this hope, of this love, you have heard before in the word of truth. The gospel. <laughs> That's the gospel. The gospel is trust in Jesus, hope in heaven, and love busted up people in the meantime. That's the gospel. 
And I love what he what he says here. The gospel, verse six, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Oh, I love this. This trust Jesus, love people, hope in heaven. That's not something we grow on from the gospel. That that is the Christian life, y'all. And it's not something that's a one time event. It's something that's bearing fruit and increasing. Here's what I can say. I believe on biblical authority, friend. I believe it is the design of God that we would trust him more in 2020 than we did in 2019. I believe it is the sovereign mind of God that we would love people more like his son would in 2019 than we did in 2020. And I believe it is the heart of God that we would hope more in the next life in 2020 than we did in 2019. And the reason I believe that that's the heart and mind and will of God is because I think he wants to do that today. I think he wants this week to increase our faith, our capacity to love, and our hope in the next life. I believe that's the work of the gospel. And then the Apostle Paul says, it's growing in the whole world. And I'm glad about the whole world. But because he cares about these people, he says, as it also does among you. Since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God, in truth.